Wednesday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. They also have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions about these products or their health benefits, call Artisan Botanicals, 405 405- 458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Use the discount code Colby Show at checkout when you visit abotanicalcompany.com. Again, for 15% off your online order. Artisan Botanicals, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, once again, this week, it's draft week, so uh, we're having to kind of rearrange the entire schedule. Conversation with Will Brewer is today. We'll be back to Thursdays. Uh, beginning next week and and for the foreseeable future. So kind of back to the normal schedule after this week, but uh, Will Brewer back on today. Um, Again, the reason for the reshuffle is because Aaron Davis and I are going to be at Chalk in Chisholm Creek on Thursday night for the NFL Draft. Our broadcast is going to start at 6.30. The draft begins at 7, and we are going to be streaming live for the entire first round, giving analysis, breaking down every pick, all 32 in the first round. So it's going to be a ton of fun. They have a great atmosphere. Their menu is awesome. I love their wings. They're going to have $3 Bud Lights for the entire draft. So if you're looking for a great place to watch the draft, come hang out at Chalk. We're going to have free draft swag as well. So when you come in, grab some draft swag, wear your favorite team gear. This is going to be a great atmosphere. Plus, we have giveaways. When you come in, there's going to be a hopper. Draw a draft prospect out of the hopper. If you draw one of the top 10 picks, you're going to win a prize. And for the person that draws the number one pick, which is going to be Trevor Lawrence, you're going to win the Baker Mayfield autographed canvas print. By the way, I tweeted a photo of this uh, this week, so you can find that on my Twitter timeline at Colby underscore Daniels. But uh, I think Chalk's account has tweeted this out as well. But what a what a super cool grand prize, the Baker Mayfield autographed canvas print to the person that draws Trevor Lawrence out of the hopper. So again, draw for prizes, uh, grab free draft swag, wings, food, beer, televisions, great atmosphere, and Aaron Davis and I breaking down every pick at Chalk and Chisholm Creek. So can't wait to see you guys there. And again, this is going to be so much fun. So uh, I love the NFL draft. All right. Will Brewer on today's episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. Will Brewer, one of the most memorable pay-per-views of all time. UFC 261 on Saturday night was a blockbuster. And to channel Bruce Buffer, I'm just going to start with this. We are tied. 44-44. You go 5-for-5 on Saturday night, which brings us to uh, 44-all on the scoreboard. Man, what a show that was Saturday night. Are uh, you talking about what a show by me or what a show by uh, the UFC 261 card? Are you saying what a legendary performance that was to come back and tie this thing up? Or are you talking? No? Okay. <laughs> well, it was it was an epic night, man. Like, goodness. From start to finish, even from the beginning of the night, man, just that whole card was just, it was just epic, man. Absolutely. Crazy night. Yeah, it was it was off the charts fantastic. And look, it, it the, the I don't know how many people out there watch the prelims, but I mean the very first fight of the night when they met in the center of the octagon, there was immediate intensity and action and and you know, the place just erupts and I was like it, I thought that really set the tone for what the entire card was. I, I know most people probably only watch the the pay-per-view portion and the main card, but 
man, from the opening seconds of the combat that we saw on Saturday in Jacksonville, it was spectacular. And, you know, there was a, a point in time where uh, you get into the the pay-per-view and the first two fights, and, and obviously with the, the two leg injuries, I'm like, man, what is going to happen tonight? Like, this is not a great start. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going through all the different scenarios about how wild this night could actually get. And when you consider the way that it ended and the way that it started, I think with all the different things that we had to witness on, on Saturday night, again, it's just going to go down as one of the most memorable roller coaster rides of a UFC pay-per-view uh, ever. I mean, I, I can't think of one in my opinion, that stands out in all the different ways that this one stood out. Absolutely, man. I mean, you think to some of the past cards, uh, pay-per-view cards, there's been some memorable moments, uh, memorable cards, but I don't think there's been one where just every fight had something where you could just go back to it and be like, that was such a memorable, epic moment. Uh, Just a crazy night. And even from the prelims, from the very first fight, they met in the center of the octagon and she uh, threw a strike and then dropped the girl. Like you can just tell the energy that the crowd that gave that the crowd gave to these fighters, man. I mean, the, even the opening fight, just when when they walked out, just you would have thought that Conor McGregor was coming out or something. The crowd was so amped up and then just the energy was through the roof. Everybody could feel it. Like Bruce Buffer, when he was announcing the fighters, like you can just see how hyped he was to have the fans back. You could just tell John and DC and Joe just had that little extra uh, something whenever they were announcing the fights. Like it was just an epic night, man. Just from start to finish, it was it was just crazy. I'll say this from a broadcasting standpoint: um, those guys were significantly better. I think for two reasons. Number one, they're all sitting together and they're feeding off each other's energy instead of each one of them being on a separate side of the octagon and and somewhat being isolated. So when a big punch lands, when a big strike lands, all three of them are like grabbing each other and shaking each other. And, you know, that that sort of energy, I think, is contagious. So that's the first part of it. I think the second part of it, when there's nobody in the building, I think to a degree you have to be very aware of how loud you're being, how much energy you're throwing out there, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just such an intimate, we talked about this last week, such an intimate setting when the place is empty and you can hear everything when you can hear every leg kick land and the pop of those kicks and every strike. I mean, obviously the voices are going to carry, especially when you're in small venues and there are not a lot, you know, I, I mean the bare minimum, bare bones staff and, and all that stuff. So I think that also probably in some ways, and look, having done a lot of broadcasts for different sporting events in my career, when there's nobody in there, there's just, there's a natural like reservedness to the way that you speak and, and present the game. When the place is going wild and you can you know just freely, I think, present what it is you're watching without everybody around you and the participants hearing every word you're saying. I, I think there's just a there's a freeness to that type of broadcast. So I think from those two aspects, it makes their job way better having fans in the building, which in turn, I think, has a big impact on what we're watching through the screen. Oh, yeah, 100% agreed, man. I, I know last week we were just kind of talking about how it was in the Apex and Fight Island with nobody in there just – how intimate it was, how good it was, like, hear them breathing and hear the shots and everything. 
But I tell you, man, when I when you hear the crowd and then when you just see how the fighters fed off of that, how everyone in the building would feed off from, uh, the crowd. You know, I know I was saying like, you know, the NBA needs fans, the NFL needs fans. The UFC needs fans, too, because like, man, <laughs> just seeing just seeing how the fighters just reacted whenever, you know, the uh just seeing like Anthony Smith come out and just how happy he was. Right. Jorge Masvidal coming out, throwing his uh, clothes to the to the fans and everything. Just like that extra that extra something that the fans bring. Like it's real, man. And, you know, just like the 12th man uh, in the NFL, you know, the UFC brings that to the UFC fans. And it was just so good to see. Uh, and like as as the day wore on, uh, I got I got more excited and more excited because like. You know, when there was that pandemic and 249 happened and how hyped I was just for the just for the fights to be back. Yeah, I started to feel that with this car, just hyped at the fan. You could just tell that there was just something magical that was going to happen. That's why I texted you. I was like, what would be more shocking to you if Usman lost or if Valentina lost? Like, because I could just feel something yeah. like something was going to happen. So I texted you that and I was just like, so, I feel like something's going to happen. But I mean, it was just a wild night, man. And just the crowd. I mean, everything that it brought, man, just, yeah. it, was, it was just great. It was just crazy. It, it just, it makes the big moments that much greater. And I think as far as like the buildup and like you mentioned the walkouts, the walkouts are pretty much nothing if there's nobody in the building, right? Like it's, you're just walking out to nothing, like to emptiness. So there's not really any point in even playing a song uh, or, or having any sort of show. So having the fans in the building, the walkouts, you know, obviously bring a little bit to the table. I will say this. I didn't miss the woos. Uh, that gets really old when people just feel the need to consistently woo throughout the entire broadcast. But, yeah, I mean, to, to hear people go nuts when a big shot lands, you know, it, it just, it, again, it just kind of feels like it raises the stakes. Uh, but, look, I, I, I stick to what I said a week ago. I, I think that there is something to be said for, as a viewer, within the fight – being able to hear every strike and understanding the impact that the strikes are having versus hearing the crowd and not not really knowing if things are landing solidly because you can't hear it. Uh, but there is no doubt that it raises the energy, that it raises the excitement in big moments and in the big fights. And uh, I, I certainly welcomed it back. It was, uh, man, it was awesome. Yeah, from start to finish, man, the crowd brought the energy. The fighters brought the energy. It was, it had all the makings of an epic night. I mean, you could just tell, like, from the prelims, you started to think, like, man, if this whole night's like this, like, can it get any better than what we saw in the prelims? And then that fight by fight, you know, we just yeah. saw something that just brought it. So it was, it was an epic night, man. We had a, uh, a main card that uh, didn't have a single fight go past the second round, correct? Right. Has that yeah, ever been that's, done? That's right. Man, off the top of my head, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, there's been cards with all finishes and stuff. But I don't think, I mean, all of them was TKOs, too. Wow. Man, I don't, I don't think so. Off the top of my head, I don't think so. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and probably because we had three five-round fights, that also makes it seem like, wow, you know, like, they, they only got into the second round of a five-round fight, and there was a finish. So that probably adds something to it as well. But uh, let's let's start this thing off, man, with the main event. Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal, we both had Usman in this. I think we both felt like 
not that it was an easy win, but that Masvidal was really going to need something special uh, to change the outcome of the first time around. Um, and and look, we said this a week ago. If Usman wanted to win this by wrestling, he could do the exact same thing he did last time and win this comfortably. The scary part is we both felt like he's a better striker now than he was the first time they fought. And man, did he deliver. That KO was... It was shocking, and I mean, the photos, you know, when you see the still shots of all the sweat coming off Masvidal after the impact, and the fact that it's the first time Masvidal's ever been finished in 50 professional fights, like, adds another layer, and then you have to start talking about the winning streak for Kamaru. Holy cow, that was, I mean, what that, that was the perfect way to cap off what we had already witnessed to that point. Obviously, we're starting with the biggest fight of the evening in this recap, but Wow, I was just, even though I thought he was going to win in a dominating way, when that shot landed, my jaw was on the floor. Man, I agree, man. Look, uh, I think, like you said, we expected Usman to win. We expected him to do it in dominant fashion, but we expected him to do it with more with the grappling, with the wrestling. I mean, we, I know for me, I expected him to do some striking, but I thought a majority of it was going to be spent with him uh using his wrestling advantage, using his grappling advantage, because, you know, Jorge, especially early in most of his fights, he starts fast. Uh, you know, he's very, he's a very fast striker. And, you know, he's going to be looking for the finish and everything. So with Usman, man, I mean, in the first round, he did some striking. He landed some good punches, and Masvidal kind of ate him. And I think Masvidal started getting a little cocky. You know, he started smiling a lot, you know, like, ooh, like, is that your best shot, you know? I, I felt like those were those were good punches though, and uh, but you know Masvidal felt like he ate him and he was still good. So you know Masvidal just was he even said it. He said that he was preparing a lot for the wrestling, and that opened up the striking even more for Usman. But when that when that punch landed in the second round, man, to see Masvidal fold the way he did, I mean, we haven't seen that in the UFC. I mean, the times that he's lost has been outside of the UFC. In the UFC, no one's been able to drop him like that uh, and uh, get a finish on him like that. So for Usman to do that, and just just to know that he's still learning, he's still evolving as a striker, and for him to do that to a guy like Masvidal, what a feather in his cap, man. Usman is getting so much better under Trevor Whitman. It's crazy. Usman was still on the follow-through of the punch when Masvidal was falling to the ground like a like a demolished building, right? You see that bottom layer yeah. blow up and then the whole top just starts to drop. That's what it was like after the shot landed. And if you watch it back in slow motion, Usman's still going forward, following through on the punch, and, like, Masvidal is falling on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy cow! <laughs> Yes, man. Uh, that was such a perfect shot. The way he set it up, uh, put throwing down uh, Masvidal's guard and just seeing that opening and just throwing everything that he had into that shot. Uh, such a beautiful technique. I mean, just just a credit to Trevor Whitman doing what he did with Usman. Uh, you know, just knowing that Usman was a dominant fighter before just with his wrestling, with his grappling. And just to know that Usman's adding this striking layer to his game. Knowing that he can be such a dominant fighter in a completely other way, dominates you with his wrestling, dominates you up on the fence, and now he's starting to dominate people with his hands. I mean, what? How? How do you beat Kamaru Usman now? <laughs> what do you do? I mean, do you try to take him down? 
He's got 100% takedown defense. Like, what do you do to beat Kamaru Usman now? Yeah. <laughs> if his striking is getting that much better. And he's getting better fight by fight. He's got, he got better from the Burns fight to this Usman, or to this Masvidal fight. He got better from the first Masvidal fight to the Burns fight. And now, whoever he fights next, is, he's getting that much better. I mean, Masvidal came in, uh, he knew that the wrestling is what beat him the first time. And Usman just wanted to set it, let it be known that now I'm going to finish you. He said it in the lead up. And now we're going to have to start taking Usman at his word for whatever he wants to say. He's doing it in these fights. He's backing up all his talk. Yeah. He's getting better every fight. And look, he's already on a historic win streak in terms of not just MMA, but obviously UFC facing incredible competition. Go back and look at the wins uh, that he's compiled in this streak. And the fact that not only is he winning in more dominant fashion in these last few fights, but over really good competition, and he started finishing opponents. We, we, we've talked about this in the past where I think a big reason why Usman wasn't getting the credit he deserved is because you know there was a stretch where there were a bunch of decision wins. And not, not that that should take away from greatness, but I think for a lot of people, when you don't finish your opponent, there's somewhat of a reservation about how dominant you actually were. And, and look, that was a big reason why Usman wanted this fight the second time around. He wanted to finish Masvidal and not let it go 25 minutes and, and the judges to have their say in what they watched inside the octagon. So the fact that he's now finished his last three opponents... Masvidal, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington. He's doing it in dominating fashion. He's getting better each and every time. The next fight is Colby Covington. And uh, Dana said this on Saturday night. Colby Covington was there. He was doing his thing. Um, obviously, they knew that was going to be the case. They already set the wheels in motion for that to be the case. And, and look, maybe Leon Edwards takes care of Nate Diaz and he secures his place as next in line. Or... You know, we, we have a, uh, a Wonder Boy fight coming up. If he wins in dominant fashion, maybe Wonder Boy gets that opportunity. But I think when you look at how great Kamaru Usman is, right now the only fight that makes sense is Colby Covington because he's the only guy that's really pushed Kamaru Usman uh, in, inside the octagon. So I don't like the fact that Colby was able to basically sit on the sidelines and wait for that fight to come to him. It kind of bothers me. And look, the, you know, a lot of people have weighed in on the whole welterweight division and the inactivity, especially at the top of that division. Uh, I, I don't think you should be rewarded for not fighting when you're more than capable to fight. That said, this is the only fight to make right now. This is the only one that I think really tests Kamaru Usman at the moment. This is the only one that really, I think, sells. Um, I, I don't know that I'm completely prepared for everything that's involved in a Colby Covington fight for six months. Uh, you know, it, it's somewhat exhausting, I think. But look, the guy knows how to, how, to, how to build a fight. The guy knows how to make people dislike him. And, uh, you know, that's a very strong emotion. There's going to be a million eyeballs on this fight. This is going to be a monumental UFC pay-per-view whenever they finally set the details and the date, but there's no question that's the next fight to make. Usman, uh, Covington too, and you know, I think some people say that they felt like Colby potentially was winning that fight going into the fifth. I, I, that's not the case for me. I think you could, if you want to say it was 2-2, uh, I can go with that, and then obviously, you know, Kamaru ends up breaking his jaw, but um, again, nobody has, nobody has pushed Usman to that point. So 
when you consider this guy is on an all-time streak now and looks to be getting to the point where it almost feels like he's invincible at 170, this is the only place to go. Yeah, man, as much as I don't like Kobe waiting, I mean, this really works for him. I, you know, he's turned down so many fights with Gilbert Burns, with Leon Edwards. I mean, when obviously when the champions, you know, wrapped up with Masvidal and then um, a lot of the welterweights are kind of wrapped up. Kobe Covington was the one who didn't have a fight who everyone was kind of calling out. Michael Chiesa was calling him out. You know, Wonderboy was calling him out. Everyone was kind of calling him out. Leon Edwards, everyone's calling him out, and he's just continuing to turn down these fights. And you wonder just just why is he turning down all these fights when, you know, a title shot is on the horizon for him with a win. Uh, I think he played his cards right. He knew that if he could just, you know, weather the kind of weather the storm, let everything uh, play out, he'd be the, the, the one who was next, whether it was a Usman rematch or if Masvidal would have won then, you know, he would have been next in line for that because of the bad blood with, with uh, Maslow and Covington. So he, he played it right. And like you said, he's the one who's, who did the best against Usman. No one's been able to land, you know, punches on Usman like that. Uh, and, and part of that is because Usman and Covington didn't wrestle at all. They just went in there and just met in the center of the octagon and just uh, had a striking war, which yeah. no one really expected because they're both so uh, well-rounded. Uh, they weren't really known as much for like their knockout power or whatever. They just were known for having great cardio, having great wrestling, and a very, very high output uh, volume of strikes. So they, their styles meshed well. And just the fight that we saw uh, in December of 2019 was, was just crazy. Um, I, had it, I had it tied. I mean, those rounds were close. Every time I watched that fight, and I've watched it probably eight or nine times by now because that was such a good fight. <laughs> I always, I always switch. Like I'm like, ooh, that that round was close. Like I guess I'm gonna go here. That round was close. So I'm gonna go here. Um, Covington definitely uh, showed that he could, you know, stand with Usman. That he could uh, take his power and everything. But that was, that was Usman before he ever even met Trevor Whitman. Right. You know, I I think, you know, what we saw from from Covington against Woodley, we saw the same Covington that we've seen throughout his whole career. You know, the same guy. Usman has gotten better since he's fought Covington and not just a little better. He's gotten miles, leaps and bounds better. Yeah. And uh, at this point, I, I don't know what Covington, what his best um, path to victory is at this point. Do you stand with Usman who's got this knockout power now? Do you try to take him down when he's got 100% takedown defense? I mean, I don't know what Kobe Covington's uh, path to victory is, but I do know that if anyone is going to show is going to show any type of weakness that Usman has, it's a guy like Kobe Covington. But at this point, I just don't know like what the path is for. Yeah, I, I think it's do the same thing you did last time and hope hope that you get him in his 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 emotions and over the course of five rounds that you, you're able to you know finish late and and maybe outlast him the the cardio. Uh, is on your side because he, you know, is throwing everything with so much heat that by the time the fourth and the fifth come around, maybe, you know, you, you're, you're the fresher guy. I, I'm with you. I don't know because since these guys last fought, we've watched Usman fight three championship fights, win all three in dominant fashion and drastically improve his game. We've seen Colby Covington one time against Tyron Woodley 
who had just been completely dominated by Gilbert Burns, and he looked like the same guy against an opponent that just got dominated. So, like, I'm not trying to take anything away from him as far as that performance, but we didn't learn anything new about Colby Covington. There was nothing really on display to show us that he had added layers to his game. Uh, but, yeah, this was a five-round war the last time around. It's it's the only place you can go, I think, uh, at this point for Kamaru Usman that, you know, is, is on pace, Will, to... It's crazy to even say this because I think there was a period of time where we thought nobody would ever eclipse GSP, right? Like, it was just, there, no way. And now we're at this this point where it's like, he's there, man. He's on the doorstep. I, I don't know that I would just pass that crown at this point, but he is inching very, very closely. Yeah, I mean, when you think about GSP, you're talking about one of the greatest of all time. And normally... When you when there's someone who's on a hot streak and everything like this, you think like, nah, I mean, he's good, but he's not GSP good. You know, GSP was just on another level. You know, uh, GSP was never really tested. You know, as soon as when he, whenever he really became the champion, uh, he turned back all the challenges and everything. But the way Usman is dominating these guys and not only that, he's getting better by every fight. And I don't even think that we've seen that. I don't think we've seen Usman at his peak yet. No. I think he is still evolving, and he's such a dominant champion already, and we haven't even seen the best of him. And I think by the time that we do see the best of Kamaru Usman, either he'll be on the doorstep of retirement or, I mean, because these guys, at this point, no one's really offering him any type of challenge. I mean, we know Kobe Covington's that next guy, but realistically, what is Kobe Covington going to do? Kobe Covington is going to have to show me <laughs> because I really just don't know what Kobe Covington is yeah. going to be able to do to, to beat this man. Um, I mean, his output was great last fight. Uh, he didn't wrestle. I mean, maybe he'll try to wrestle. I mean, we haven't really seen anyone try to take Usman down because he's such a good wrestler. But I have to see what Kobe Covington is going to do. And if he gets past Kobe, who's next? I mean, we got Wonder Boy and uh, Leon Edwards. I mean, and then when you look at those fights, he can simply just take these guys down and dominate them. And we can just forget all about the striking because Usman's just that dominant. So, I mean, he doesn't need to have 10 or 11 title defenses to pass GSP in, in people's minds. At this point, if he just keeps dominating these really, really, really talented fighters in the way he's doing, I think in about one or two more title defenses, we're going to be talking about Kamaru Usman as the greatest welterweight of all time. Yeah, there's no doubt. What what a punch, man. What a knockout. The first time in Jorge Gamebred Masvidal's MMA career to get finished, and it happened in the second round. Uh, Kamaru Usman, I don't know what else to say about him. All right, we had three title fights on this, uh, on this card, Will. I thought two of them would be pretty dominant wins. I felt like Valentina Shevchenko was going to win in dominant fashion. I felt like Kamaru Usman was going to win in dominant fashion. I thought the co-main event with Zhang Weili and Rose Namajunas was going to be the best fight of the card. I thought it was going to be potentially a four to five to the whole way type of fight, and maybe it goes to decision. But I was like, I thought these two matched up so well that this was going to be the one fight where we're on the edge of our seat for a period of time. This ends up being the quickest finish of the entire card. If you don't, you know, if we're gonna, we're not gonna count the 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 Weidman. Um, Uriah Hall match, obviously, but 
a minute, 18 seconds into the first round. I'm like, I was totally ready for this five round war, this fight <laughs> where I struggled for days to figure out whose side I liked better. And then Rose just ends it with a kick to the head and it's lights out. Man. Uh, I mean, just when she walked out, just the focus on her face and just with Pat Barry and Trevor Whitman, just in her corner telling her like, she's the best, like telling, telling her to say that she's the best. And Rose just kept repeating when she was getting introduced, I'm the best. I'm the best. Like, yeah, I felt that <laughs> like I, when, they, when she was getting introduced, I was like, man, like I'm, I'm, I'm with Rose. Like, I, I mean, granted, I picked her as well. But like, as she was saying this, like I was really starting to believe it. And just with how how passionate she was when she was saying that she was the best, like I could feel it. And, you know, the way the fight played out, man. I mean, it was kind of going how I expected. Rose moving in and out. And I expected Whaley to attack her legs early on because you you attack her legs, someone who moves as much as Rose, you want to stop that movement so you can start to use your power. So, you know, Whaley was attacking her legs. She was landing some really good uh, leg kicks. And Rose was, you know, on her bike, moving in and out. And you, you never really knew what was coming. Yeah. But that head kick, man, how perfectly placed with that head kick i mean normally you see when you see head kicks like they kind of loop around yeah and they hit you in the neck like dc was saying this uh on, on his podcast like whaley's guard was up and she and she was guarding the uh the the leg kick yeah so you know she scooted back a little bit but that head kick landed just right in here perfect place through the guard like well, she started out low and then adjusted and went high. And yeah, holy cow. Incredible. How, like, that was just a perfectly placed head kick. Like, the technique in, in that was just so, so beautiful, man. Uh, you know, and people were starting to say, like, Whaley had that war. So, you know, her chin was had been tested and everything. I really don't think that there was anything that Whaley could have done to absorb that head kick. Like right. there was nothing she could have done. That head kick was just so perfect. There was nothing Whaley could have done. And, you know, it wasn't an early stoppage at all. You could just tell like her eyes were out of there. Um, great stoppage. Yeah. Rose just looked flawless, man. That was a beautiful, beautiful head kick. I mean, she was she was still struggling while she was arguing about the stoppage, which always tells you it's a good stoppage, but I'm with you, man. I, I think, like, Rose just connected perfectly. Like, I, I don't think you need to dig into it any deeper than that was just a perfectly timed, perfectly placed strike. And and it took her down. Uh, you know, I, I think, like, sometimes people want to make this thing so complex and talk about the war with uh, Joanna, and maybe that somehow played a role in getting KO'd or... I don't know, man. It was, I, I just, I give credit to Rose in this instance of like, she just landed the perfect shot at the perfect time. And, and, uh, it was, it was a fight ender. Uh, but look, I, I think that what we saw in that, in that minute that the fight lasted was exactly what I thought we were going to see in the early rounds. I thought we were going to see Rose in and out. I thought we were going to see Rose do exactly what she did for that first minute. Ultimately, where I landed in this fight was I thought it was going to be a good fight. I thought it was going to be a competitive fight, and I thought it was going to go a long ways. And because of that, I felt like in the later rounds, Whaley's power would ultimately win her the fight. But, you know, I, I, I think we were both on the same side of thinking 
Rose was probably going to look better in the early rounds of this fight than Wei Lee was. So it kind of just became, for me at least, in deciding who I was going to pick, it became an issue of, do I think this is going to be an early finish or do I think it's going to the championship rounds or to the finish line? And if if I'm being honest and I'm telling myself I think it's going to be that close and they're going to be in the fourth or fifth round, then for me, I had to lean toward Whaley because I thought Rose would get the early rounds, but as the fight went on, Whaley's power would start to have an impact and and start to wear on Rose as the fight went on. So I, uh, I, I even texted you before this fight started. I didn't care about the points. I was 100% <laughs> go Rose. I was so glad that she was able to get the, the belt back. Um, that was awesome, man. Even though I was expecting a war, that was my pick for fight of the night. Um, you know, a minute, 18 seconds, completely unexpected. Yeah, man, it, it's hard not to like Rose. Uh, just everything that she brings to the table, um, how she talks about her struggles with mental health and everything, um, and just how how passionate she is about MMA. Um, you know, she wears her heart on her sleeve, and I think yeah. people can relate to Rose more than they can anybody else, you know. Joanna is was trying to, you know, really get into her head, talking about her mental health, talking about her struggles and everything. And while Joanna's in her face, Rose is saying the the Lord's Prayer, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just like it's just hard not to love Rose. Um, but yeah, she just landed the the perfect strike at the perfect time. I mean, there was nothing that Whaley could have done any different. Um, I mean, I feel like she defended it well, um, because you know, Rose was that was a perfectly disguised kick. I mean, like you said, she started low. It was, it looked like it was going to go to the leg, Yeah. but it just went high. <laughs> I mean, that was just a perfectly placed strike. Um, and, and Rose, she's probably the most talented fighter ever in that division. Uh, I mean, Joanna was the most dominant champion, but Rose, the way she went in there and beat her twice. And then in a, in a five round striking war, outpointed Joanna and then yeah. now she's getting finishes like this against against Wei Li who people thought was just this world beater and everything put her out in one minute and 18 seconds I mean for Doug Rose man just I don't know where she goes from here you know there's been a lot of talk about what's next who's next and everything but I mean the UFC's got a star on their hands if they play their cards right with Rose I mean I think the UFC and Rose handled it kind of uh, in a weird sense last time. But I think this time, I think they know what star that they have with Rose and they'll handle it yeah. a lot better. I thought just in her post-fight press conference, she uh, kind of made it a point to to somewhat address that. And she just seemed to just have a different charisma about her, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, and I think the big the big thing with her is Number one, I think people love her because she comes across as 100% genuine. Uh, you never really feel like she's bullshitting you or just saying something because you're supposed to say that as the champion or as a contender or whatever. I think she just comes across as like she's going to say how she feels and she's very genuine. But secondly, like she, she, there's almost like a fragileness to her. Where, like, you know, in some ways, Wei Lee kind of feels bulletproof. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like, and, and I think a lot of UFC champions, to a degree, like, feel like there's this, it feels like there's a bulletproof aura about them. Whereas with Rose, even though she's incredibly talented, 
you don't really get that sense. Like there's a vulnerability there. Uh, I think both inside and outside the octagon that I think is very relatable and easy to root for. Yeah, I agree, man. She definitely seems uh, very fragile in a sense. Um, and she's, she's very, very pretty. Uh, I mean, for her to have you know the shaved head and everything, she's a, a very, very beautiful woman. Um, and her, you know, her corner with Pat Berry, Trevor Whitman, you know, they pour what they pour into her for her to have that confidence going into fight night, man. You can just tell they, they, they know exactly the right things to say to get her in that mode of knowing that she's the best. Yeah. Uh, feel, not only knowing it, but just feeling it, uh, internally that she is the best. And, uh, you know, she went out there and just fought a, such a beautiful fight. Um, and you know, now, now the UFC is going to be able to market her in in a different way. Um, like you said, she's not going out there, you know, talking trash like Joanna, trying to get under people's skin. You know, she's just, you know, she says exactly how she feels. You know, she's genuine, like you said. Um, there's just nothing to not like about Rose. I mean, I think if people really just try to uh, deep dive into her, I don't think they're going to find anything that they don't like about Rose. I mean, as hard as you try, it's hard yeah, not to like Rose. Agreed. Uh, I can't imagine that. I, I know there's been talk about maybe Carla Esparza potentially getting an opportunity with a win. Um, I, I can't imagine that they go any direction but the rematch. I, Dana kind of sounded like he was 100%. Like, like <laughs> duh, that's the obvious thing to do after the fight was over. Uh, I kind of agree with him. I think when you have a... A champion like Whaley that you know won the belt the way that she did, and and uh, obviously the last time that we saw her, which God, it seems like so long ago, but was the greatest women's fight we've ever seen. Uh, and then you know, even though this was a a one minute first round finish, you know, sometimes I think when you lose in that way, it can prevent you from having that immediate shot. But it also almost feels like. The thing didn't even get started, so like, yeah, you almost have to run it. Like, it, it, it probably would have been worse for Whaley if they had fought two rounds and then that kick happens and she's finished. Like the fact that it happened so soon into the fight, it's like we were almost robbed of really getting to see them fight. So it makes it maybe easier to run it back. Yeah, um, you know, normally in in most circumstances, you don't run a fight like that back when it when it ends so quickly. But you know, when there's Carla Esparza and then there's a uh, uh, Jan, I don't I don't know how to say her last name, but Carla Esparza and Jan fighting. Um, I mean that that could be like a number one contender fight. But with how much of a following that uh, Whaley has, I mean, all the fans that she has in China, she's the, a superstar over there. And, and, you know, after the big fight that she had with Joanna, and then, like you said, we didn't really even get to see, you know, this fight play out like we right. thought it would. We, we thought this was going to be a fight of the year, uh, fight of the century type fight. And then for it to end so quickly, you kind of wonder, like, what would have happened if it went into later rounds? Yeah. And with there not being a clear number one contender, I mean, you know, Joanna's out there who's not really fighting, but we've seen Joanna and Rose twice already, and, and Rose won both of those. So I think at this point, you can run uh, Rose and Whaley back just for the simple fact that um, it would be a completely different fight, and we would probably see that this fight go into the later rounds. We would get to see who is better. But 
Um, I tell you what, man. I think it would generate a lot of buzz for these two to run it back. Even though yeah. Rose got this big knockout, I think it would have generated a lot of buzz if they ran it back. I agree. Uh, I mean, she was on a 20-fight win streak, for God's sake. I mean, undefeated in the UFC before Saturday night. Like, it's it's not like this is, uh, you know, somebody that that somehow, like, magically just the stars aligned and, and she got to win a title. And, like, she's been pretty dominant, and she's had an incredible resume, uh, yeah, I, I don't see where, in my opinion, there's a better way to go than than running it back. And uh, like I said, I, I think it's easy to sell when you say, we never saw the fight. I mean, it's, it's easier than if it had gone two rounds and the knockout happened at that point. So in a weird way, it being such a dominant win is actually beneficial, I think, for Zhang Weili. Yeah, because they're still kind of filling each other out in the first, I mean, in the first minute 18, I mean, <laughs> Wei Lee hadn't thrown any real big power yet. She had just been touching her legs. And I'm sure, and that's exactly why Wei Lee yeah. thought the Rose was going to be attacking her legs. And for Rose to just throw that head kick out there, I mean, it's just it's just an expert technique. But, you know, Wei Lee couldn't have done anything different to defend that. And with in a minute and 18, you're just trying to fill your opponent out. You're not trying to throw a big haymaker like that in, in a fight that you think is going to be real tight going into these later rounds. You kind of want to reserve your gas tank and everything. So Whaley wasn't expecting that. So I'm sure if they were to fight again, Whaley would be would definitely have her defense uh, ready for anything that Rose would throw at her. But, but man, uh, yeah, we didn't get to see uh, the fight of the year contender that we thought. And I think the second fight, we would really get to see that. Yeah. All right, uh, our first f- championship fight of the night. Um, the third one we're going to talk about today. Valentina Shevchenko over Jessica Andrade. Uh, Will, we both thought this was going to be a dominant win. This was a near flawless performance. Like, if if there was an equivalent to a perfect game in, in the UFC, I mean, this would almost be it. It was from start to finish. It was Valentina Shevchenko proving a point, and for her to look as good as she did the way that she did to show that she can beat you at the highest level in so many ways, um, I-, I loved her approach to this thing. And like I said, you know, it almost felt like she wasn't just fighting Andrade. She was fighting a lot of other people uh, in the way that she decided to win that fight. But I'll rewind to last week, and, and I told you this when we talked last week. When they stood next to each other at the press conference last week, I was I was so taken back at the considerable size difference that that Valentina had over Andrade. And I knew she was obviously bigger, but I I think the thing that we think about Andrade is that she's she's built thick, right? She's kind of built like a tank where she's going to be physical against you. But when I saw them stand next to each other, I was like, there's not a physicality edge in any way on Andrade's side. Like, Valentina looked significantly bigger, like, by a, by such a large margin that any thought that I had of, of maybe Andrade in, in maybe a perfect storm being able to win this was out the window at that point. Yeah, you know, I thought that Andrade, you know, the way she fights, you know, I just thought it presented um, just more activity than what uh, Valentina's seen. Um, just someone being in her face, not really caring about the striking, uh, how, about how good of a striker that Valentina is. I felt like Jessica was just going to move forward 
no matter what the case was, and try to land a big punch. But I did not expect Valentina to just basically throw her around the way she was. Um, Seven takedowns, which was the most that she's ever landed. With ease. Uh, with with easy ease. takedowns, yeah, yeah. With with ease, just just to overpower Andrade the way she did, and you know, you had said um, about the size difference, and I just I was kind of thinking like, man, like there is a size difference, but that's never really bothered Andrade as much yeah. in her in her fights. You know, she's always moved forward, so I thought that she was just going to continue to move forward. But Valentina shut any shut all that down. I mean, with her striking, with her takedowns, she basically just bullied someone who I thought was a bully. Yeah. And she was so was, much stronger in every clinch situation. And, and like, it was mind blowing to me how much stronger she was to just like throw her on the ground. I mean, you know, those weren't even, they didn't even feel like takedowns at times. Will it felt like she was just throwing her to the ground. <laughs> yeah, man. And I think that, uh, she had a, ch- a chip on her shoulder. Um, you know, when you're a champion and you've done all the things that Valentina has done, uh, fought all these people, won in dominant fashion, and then you have a fight like you had against Jennifer Maya where it looked like Jennifer Maya won a round and then everyone's talking all this noise about <laughs> what you, about the round that you lost and yeah. you know, what what someone could possibly do to beat Valentina. I think uh, that just – she used that as motivation and she took it all out on Andrade. You know, like you said, and it seemed like she wasn't just fighting Andrade. She was fighting all the critics, all the doubters who said that all you have to do is just uh, pressure her and um, clinch her and take her down and stuff. She used that as motivation. She used it as fuel. And you could just see, like, whenever uh, she went face-to-face with Andrade, like, she got all up in her face and she just carried all of that, all of that frustration that she had from the Jennifer Maya fight into this fight and just took it to Jessica Andrade. Yeah. And then, you know, for her to end it in the crucifix and just raining down punches, yeah. um, uh, Jessica started bleeding and everything. Like, yeah, I mean, that was just such a flawless victory. Um, it's hard to just... I thought that Jessica Andrade was going to present the toughest challenge for Valentina in that division. Now, after after seeing that, there is no one. Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody that can get that can really challenge Valentina in that division. It's such a fine line, I think, with criticism because, like, you know, we're talking about the Jennifer Maya situation. Neither one of us is ever going to try to sell anybody that that was Valentina's best performance. Like, it obviously wasn't her best performance. She's capable of much better than we saw against Jennifer Maya. She still won that fight with considerable ease, right? I mean, okay, so maybe she lost a round, but... She still won that fight with relative ease on a night that I think it's fair to say she didn't have her best night. Like, that's how good she is. But I, I, you're right. It's funny because some people kind of took that as, well, maybe she's slipping or maybe there is a weakness or, you know, like there's weakness in the armor. We found, you know, maybe a, a point where we can. <laughs> right. And it's just like, you know what? She wasn't at her best and that's all there was to it. And she still won in dominant fashion. So. Uh, but look, the greats turn that sort of stuff into motivation and then perform like Valentina did on Saturday. And like I said at the beginning, I, I think it was a near flawless performance. Like, I was just like, holy cow. It's almost like every time I watch Amanda Nunes and every time I watch Valentina Shevchenko, like I get their fights end and I'm just like blown away by how how great they are. Like the greatness that is both of those women. 
You know, I'll, I'll even take it a step further. Not only was that one of uh, Valentina's worst performances, I believe since she's been champion, especially, that was her worst performance. And she still dominated yeah. Jennifer Maya yeah. for, for four rounds. I mean, okay, Jennifer Maya won one round. I mean, what champion hasn't lost a round here and there? I mean, maybe Khabib. I mean, he's, yeah, he's lo- even maybe. lost around. Like, right. like, come on, man. Like, it happens, right? So, I mean, and Valentina still looked dominant for, you know, 20 uh, out of 25 minutes. And for people to think, like, um, that, sh- that, that that fight showed weakness in Valentina's game. And then she even said in, the, um, in her post fight, like, for those of you who think that, that was, there's a weakness in my game, there is none. And I truly think that there is no weakness in Valentina's game, especially for anyone in that division. She she proved that she's a better striker than everyone. She's stronger than everyone. She's a better grappler than everyone. I mean, she can get submissions uh, on the toughest uh, of challenges. So, I mean, I just don't see where people really thought that um, there was going to be a weakness in Valentina's game. And, you know, Jennifer Maya, she fought well and, you know, she used her strengths. But that was just definitely Valentina's worst performance, yeah. and she still got dominated. So, I mean, for people that think that there's a weakness, just like <laughs> Valentina said, there is none. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I, wh- where does she go now? Because, uh, look, I, th- I, I've heard talk this week that maybe it's the Calderwood, Lauren, Mor- Lauren, Lauren Murphy winner. Um, I, I don't know what makes sense in that, that division. Nobody, to me looks like a legitimate threat. Uh, it feels like the trilogy fight with Amanda is the only way to go. Dana didn't seem like he was too eager to make that fight happen anytime soon. And look, I totally get it. You have two of the three women's divisions that are dominated by two champions. That's like your, that's that, that fight is always going to be there. You know, like it's, there's no rush to potentially add a loss to either one of those two resumes. Uh, so yeah, it's probably better I mean, I think in the long run to let those two continue to dominate each of their divisions and maybe they meet again down the road. I'm just thinking about this from a UFC point of view. For me, the only fight to make is Amanda and and Valentina and give us the trilogy fight. And look, a lot of people believe that Valentina won the second fight. So uh, I know it's it's 2-0 Amanda, but, you know, this is kind of the the Max Holloway uh, Volkanovsky scenario. Uh, So... You know, nobody's going to argue with a third fight between these two. And I, I think that's the best fight to make. But I get where Dane is coming from if he wants to pump the brakes on matching these two up. Because, again, you're talking about champions in two divisions that are so above and beyond everybody else in those divisions. Like, it's going to be there. It's not going anywhere. And all you're going to do is is take the shine of one of these ladies away at the end of that fight. Absolutely, man. Uh yeah, you know, for me, I mean, I, you know, Amanda won those two fights. Um, so, you know, I'm with Dana. I don't, I'm not rushing to see a third fight between them. It's always going to be there. Um, you know, especially with Amanda, she's gotten some challenges who's, uh, challengers who's starting to step up. But with Valentina, it's different, you know, because she's wiping out everyone in this division. She's running out of contenders. I really think that... Um, if Whaley would have beat Rose, that we would have saw Whaley and Valentina next. I definitely feel like that fight would have been next at some point down the road if Whaley would have won. Uh, but now that Rose beat Whaley, she's no longer champion. Now we're we're definitely putting all the attention on uh, Valentina and Amanda because that's the fight that's there. Um, 
you know, now for me, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm just wanting both of these women just to keep on adding to their legacies. There's no one to challenge them. Let's see in their respective divisions if anyone can yeah. even challenge them. Uh, just let them keep on growing. And, uh, and then eventually when there's absolutely nobody left, you know, then we can probably come back to this. And it's still going to be a massive, massive fight. Um, and then at this point, you can sell it different. You can sell the yeah. double champion, uh, the champion two divisions against the dominant uh, flyaway champion. And then you can uh, play their two fights and how close the second fight was. So, um, yeah, that fight's always going to be there. But, you know, just let these two women continue to build their legacies. Yeah. If I was going to play devil's advocate to that at all, I would I would say it's been, what, now four years since they fought. Is that right? Four or five years, uh, somewhere in that. I mean, it's been a while. Um, right. And I, I, I would just say you want to – you want to let these two women fight while they're both in the prime of their career, right? You don't want to wait too long to the point that, like, even though they're still the best in their divisions, that we feel like both of them are on the downhill slide, right? Like, they've they've crossed over that, that barrier of hitting their peak. So, um, that's I, I think that's the delicacy of figuring out the timing on this. I think that fight is always there to make. I don't think there needs to be a rush. But I think in the back of your mind, you do have to consider, like, this is going to be the greatest fight in women's MMA history. And you don't want to make this fight when, you know, we start to see maybe Amanda slip a little bit, or we start to see the deterioration of one of these two. So uh, I think right now from an age standpoint, uh, Valentina's 33, Amanda's 32, I believe. Uh, So, I mean, both of them are are at the prime age. Uh, So, you know, I don't know how long, I don't know when the right time is. I don't know how long you would want to wait, but I would just say you want to keep that in mind. And, and, you know, we don't want to see these two women fighting in like four years from now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not next, but, you know, it's something, to, it's just something to consider. Yeah. Maybe not uh, immediately next, but maybe like, especially with Amanda. I mean, there's nobody at 145 for her. There's, you know, there's Pena at 135 and maybe one other person. Uh, I mean, there's not really a 145 period, right? Right. There, I mean, there's yeah. nobody there. I mean, Amanda's just the champion. She's already wiped out anybody who even considers themselves a 145er. So, I mean, um, at this point, I think, you know, let Amanda, you know, beat Juliana and maybe Valentina gets another win over um, the Calderwood and Laura Murphy winner. And then maybe you, uh, you know, we take a look at that fight. Um, it'll be a big fight, uh, mega fight. And, you know, we see who's better. I mean, Valentina, she looks so dominant that you kind of look at Amanda like, I don't know, you know, I think Valentina might, might can get her this time, you know. So I think the intrigue is still going to be there no matter when they fight. So um, it would be a big fight for sure. Yeah. It's literally the only fight that can happen where I even question the outcome for either one of them, right? Like, Absolutely. it's the only one. For sure. And, 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 you know, Valentina is so dominant that she's won all of her fights at 135, except for Amanda. And right. then, like her, her record, I believe, is just all these wins and then just Amanda Nunes on the other side as far as losses. So um, she's been dominant over everyone, 125 and 135. She just hasn't beaten Amanda Nunes. Yeah. Like, and then Amanda Nunes has been dominant ever since she, she's won the title. But the, the only person who's even given her much of a challenge won, won some rounds off her is Valentina. So when yeah. you think of it, when you think about it like that, it's very intriguing. 
All right, Chris Weidman, Uriah Hall. We both picked Uriah Hall in this, not the way you want to win. Uh, I, I thought we were robbed of a, a fight that I was really looking forward to. I mean, it was just, you know, they're so stylistically different. Um, it's it's one of those, like, what style's going to win this? Um, what a disappointing way for this thing to go. And so unique, Will, in the way that it was literally on the first strike of competition and for it to happen to the guy that was on the other side of that when Anderson, like, like I just had so many thoughts going through my head when this thing went down. And and I think the worst part of it was like, I saw the kick, I saw the leg break and I was like, (gasps) and then when he like went back and like tried to step on it, you know, and he, that was the part that I, I literally about lost it. Like I can, I can handle blood. I can I can do a lot of the gory stuff. The bones breaking like that, man, it makes me it turns my stomach, man. I am uh I'm very squeamish about bones breaking. Yikes. Oh, uh, that man. Not only was it nasty, but just how disappointing that it was because you Chris Weidman looked in unbelievable shape. Uh in the in the weigh-ins, he looked cut, ripped. And, like, you could just tell in the interviews and everything that he did, like, he was so motivated to go out there and try to get back on track and try to make a a run at the title. You know, he had been talking about, you know, winning, you know, three in a row and then trying to get a uh, one last title shot because he knows, like, his time, you know, it's about over. He's on his one of his last runs and stuff. So um, with all that, with all the pressure that he had, um, and then, you know, with Uriah Hall, looking the way he has in his last couple of fights, like this was a really, really big fight for the both of them. And then for it to end like that, uh, it's so disappointing. And then, you know, you just really feel for Chris Wyatt because he's dealt with so many injuries. Yeah. And then you could just see, he finally felt healthy. He looked healthy. And then, you know, just, you know, for that to happen to him, you know, the road to recovery that's ahead of him. Uh, that's one of the first things that I thought about. Uh, one thing that I did think about, I thought that the rest of this card was going to be, shit because i thought like all these fighters was gonna be not wanting to throw any kicks or anything because of what happened with wyman like um when when something happens like that you know it kind of makes you wonder like how these other fighters are going to react to it i mean of course the the rest of the car play out the way the way that it did but you know for wyman uh it was just so unfortunate and ah just when he when he landed the kick it was such a loud kick like you know with the crowd noise and everything, you don't really hear a lot of the kicks uh, in this card. But when you you heard that one, and then just when he stepped, like he went down. Yeah, I thought he just like tore his ACL or something. But then, like you saw, like mm. his foot was the other yeah. way. Like it was just, it was so bad, man. It was just so disappointing, and uh, I really feel for Chris Weidman, man. When when Anderson Silva broke his leg, I'm not even kidding you, man. It probably took two years for me to like get over watching people throw those kicks and not in like some way, like having a a tiny feeling or like a tiny voice in my head being like, watch your leg. Like, you know, like, cause it, it, that was, I, I think the Anderson Silva one, and maybe that one kind of like toughened me up enough to be able to stomach this one a little bit better. But that one had such an impact on me that I'm not joking you for, for like two years 
every time somebody threw one of those kicks, like a small part of me, not that it made me quit watching or anything, but a small part of me just kind of like winced a little bit, like, please don't break your leg. Please don't break your leg. Uh, Cause like I literally felt ill that when Anderson Silva did, I, I'd never seen anything like that. Like it was the, that was the first time I'd ever seen something, you know, just that significant to that degree. And, uh, I was, I thought after the, it happened with Weidman, like I was going to be very weird about the kicks the rest of the card. And luckily, like I, I didn't have that. And, and there were obviously kicks the rest of the way, but it didn't really impact me. Uh, but yeah, man, I, the, the Anderson Silva one just impacted me so much to the point that it was just very weird about kicks for a while that, uh, Man, that was it. Was tough. It was tough for Weidman, and and you know, you talked about the storylines. Uh, Thirty six years old, trying to put together his last run. Obviously, he understands that there's not a lot of time left. Um, hearing Ray Longo talk on the Anakin Florian podcast, it sounds like you know Weidman wants to recover, and um, if he can, will fight again. He's not going to let that be his last chapter. So uh, that's good to hear. But like. To see him come out, you know, the American flag, the the Tom Petty blaring, like, uh, you know, he was a former champion in this division, a guy that did something that we didn't think was possible at the time, right? I mean, Anderson Silva was as close to Superman in this sport as as there was. And, uh, yeah, so disappointing to see that that fight go that way. And, And look, we're also talking about it happening immediately after another fight where a guy's leg just quits working. Yeah, man. Uh, let, to go back to Anderson Silva, the Anderson Silva uh, leg injury, I think it was so significant for everyone because, like you said, like Anderson Silva was a superstar. Like he was the best fighter in the world. So when you see something like that happen to Anderson Silva, if it can happen to Anderson Silva of all people, <laughs> yeah. it can literally happen to anyone uh, who anybody who throws a leg kick. And up to that point, Anderson Silva was pretty invincible. I mean, he had lost the title. It was the rematch. But up to that point, he was really invincible. And for that to happen to him, you realize it could happen to anyone. So I was definitely weirded out by that, too, uh, thinking like, man, this could happen to anyone. But, yeah, for it to happen to Wyman, man, after all he's been going through with the, with his neck and everything, it, you know, it's just so disappointing. But, you know, I'm definitely encouraged by that video that he put out. Um, everything that he talked about, he seemed like he was in really, really positive spirits. And, you know, j- even just judging by that video, you could tell, like, he's going to want to come back. Um, he's a champion. Uh, you know, he's the guy that's not going to let this bring him down. Uh, he's going to recover. And I think he's he's at least going to want to uh, run it back one more time, uh, get, a, get, a, get another fight. Uh, I think for a guy like Weidman, um, he's so, he's so beloved because when he came out, like the crowd was going crazy for him. I think that um, a fight with Weidman in his comeback, everyone's going to want to see it. And it's going to be a really, really big deal for Weidman to come back from that. So I think he's going to want to come back and at least get one or two more. I mean, I know um, when it happened, I was kind of thinking about retirement, but that was just, you know, yeah, uh, just right after it happened, my mind's just going everywhere. And I'm like, man, he can't, he couldn't come back from that. But, right. you know, seeing all, all the content from Weidman uh, over this last week has made me realize, like, man, like, Weidman's a champion. He's going to want to come back from this for right. sure. But, I mean, you know, part of it also just depends on the recovery time. If, if everything goes right and it's a, it's a timely recovery, that also plays a role. If we're talking about something that takes two years, you know, if there's any setbacks along the way, um, you just never know, you know, you never know what sort of setbacks you're go- going to experience. And, 
Um, I'll just give you an example. Like my dad had a really bad motorcycle accident a few years ago, uh, to the point that he broke his leg in a couple spots. And, you know, there were times like at one point he got an infection, like where, you know, and it was something like that sets you back for like nine months. So it, you know, and that's just something that's like not even in your control. Like you do everything right. And you still like get an infection, uh, in a, in a bone that's healing. So, it's uh, it's a very tricky thing. So hopefully, as far as he's concerned, there are no setbacks. Everything goes as it's supposed to go, and the recovery isn't something that's going to take two years. But man, what a what a brutal break for Chris Weidman. All right, we uh, opened this card with Anthony Smith, Jimmy Crute. Uh, I thought I, I I had Rose Way Lee as the best fight on this card. I had this as the second best fight on this card. I thought this was going to be. A terrific fight. Thought it was going to be a back and forth fight. Uh, I had a really hard time picking a winner in this one as well. I ultimately landed on Jimmy Crute, and I just went the youth route. Um, I still believe this guy has a massive future in this sport. You saw the toughness, but that leg kick, holy cow! <laughs> I for his leg to just stop working, Will, and as he's trying to step on it, and it's like dragging on the canvas, and on, <laughs> sometimes he's like stepping on the side of his foot, and I'm like, "What the hell is happening with your foot, man? Get it, get it together!" <laughs> yeah, man, you don't see this happen uh, too often. Uh, I remember with with Cejudo when uh, DJ kicked him and uh, it messed up Cejudo's leg, like. It looked like his foot was like just like breaking or something. Like he was just like rolling his ankle like yes. uh, countless times. I'm just like, dang, like what is going on with his foot? It's the same thing that happened with Jimmy Crew. Just the perfect, perfectly placed leg kick, and then just his leg just completely stopped working. And you know, how tough is Jimmy Crew? You know, he wanted to keep fighting. Like he was trying to tell the ref, like, man, I'm good, I'm good. And then he took that step and then like his leg was Bro, like, he got a <laughs> takedown after like the leg quit working. Like he was just like, All right. I guess we're fighting on the ground because I can't walk. Yeah, man. Just like that just shows how tough that he is. And like he's very, very young in this game. Um, Anthony Smith's very experienced. He's got 50 pro fights and he's only 32, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, So Anthony Smith's a veteran of this game. Jimmy Crute's got a long way to go. Um, He still have he still has a whole career ahead of him. And if this happened to him, you know, I'm sure it's it's only going to make him better. Um. Yeah, Jimmy Crew still got a, a massive, massive future ahead of him. He's got all the potential in the world. Um, but, you know, finding a guy like Anthony Smith, you know, I just thought um, Anthony Smith was going to be able to squeeze out a decision. But, you know, Anthony Smith, you know, we talk about Jimmy Crew and his leg and everything, but we have to give the props where they're due for Anthony Smith because he looked good. No, he looked, no, he jab, looked great. Yeah, his jab looked Yeah, the improved. jab was his incredible. way better. Um, yeah, Anthony Smith looked like he's really, really put putting everything together into his game. You know, I know last year he had that uh, fight with Glover Teixeira where Glover just completely dominated him and then Rackens dominated him. Um, you know, like we said last week, like Anthony Smith was going through a lot of stuff last year that people don't really know about. You know, maybe they do with, you know, you know, someone trying to break into his house and everything like and then him having to travel without his family and, you know, his family's probably weighing on his mind and stuff. So, you know, I think now um, all that's all that's in the past. He's able to really concentrate on his uh, on his career, on his game, on his uh, on improving. So and I think we saw that against uh, Jimmy Crew and against Devin Clark. And I think he's putting himself back in that discussion to have a really, really big fight uh, in his next fight. 
Yeah, I'm kind of wondering what's next because I, I look at that division. Um, I think if you can run this one back, that would be awesome. Uh, I'm all in because I think the, these two guys are just such an interesting matchup. And look, I thought we were on our way to getting a really good fight. So uh, if you can run this one back, I would have zero issue with that happening. Um, you know, if you're Anthony Smith and you want somebody ranked ahead of you, I totally get that as well. You look at that division and obviously Jan is fighting Glover. Um, Anthony Smith lost to Rockich last year. Dominic Reyes and Yuri Prohaska are about to fight. And then you've got Tiago Santos. Maybe Tiago Santos makes sense. Um, maybe we're talking about the loser of the Prohaska Dominic Reyes fight because the winner of that fight is, is probably getting an opportunity, uh, at the belt next, depending on, on how good it looks. If it's a Rockich Tiago Santos fight, then, uh, they're probably going to say no thanks, but. Uh, to me, that's what stands out. It's, you know, if you don't run Jimmy Crute back, then it's uh, Tiago Santos or the loser of Dominic Reyes, Yuri Prohaska. Yeah, man, there's uh, there's not many people ahead of him that you could really throw him in there against at this point. But, uh, yeah, I would love to see him fight Tiago Santos again. Um, if Tiago Santos is actually going to go out there and fight. Yeah. Um, I actually I actually would like to see him fight Rockage again because uh, I think, you know, Anthony Smith wasn't in the best uh, headspace in that fight. Um, he took a lot of damage and wasn't really returning at all. So he kind of was just out there for three rounds, kind of like how, uh, a Tyron Woodley performance in that one. So yeah. I, I would love to see them run that back. Um, but I'm really intrigued if um, Anthony Smith can fight uh, the loser of, of – of Yuri and Dominic Reyes, I think either one of those fights is really, really good stylistically yeah. for, for Anthony Smith. Um, and, you know, um, I think this division is so wide open, man. Uh, you know, Rakich, you know, he's probably wanting that next title shot, but he looked so dull against Thiago Santos. Right. Like, we were, we were expecting a war, and then we got what we got. It was such a dud of a fight that, you know, this puts Dom and Yuri in in prime position to get a title fight with a finish or with just a really, really good performance. So, um, yeah, you know, for Anthony Smith next, you know, I would love to see him just fight someone ahead of him, but I wouldn't be mad if they ran it back with uh, Jimmy Crude either. Yeah. Yeah. The Tiago Santos fight was back in 2018. So at least we've had more time pass. The Rockage fight was just last year. And if you're Rockage, like I have a hard time thinking Rockage would be in on that being the number two light heavyweight, and he just beat this guy a year ago, like I would have a hard time imagining him okaying that that situation. So I, I, he probably thinks he should be next in line for the belt, which I highly disagree with. But I don't know. I, I, I just don't see a Rockage Anthony Smith uh, fight happening again. Uh, all right, so you went five for five on Saturday night. I go three for five. Three title fights at three points apiece. Uh, so we are tied, my friend. 44-44. Uh, you've, uh, you've clawed back into this thing. Yeah, man. I had to go back to the war room. Had to, you know, re-strategize and get back in it, man. We, we clawed our way back in it, you know, card by card. And now we're here. We're tied up, man. I remember I, I, I was so happy after Rose got that knockout. I texted you. I was like, we are tied. <laughs> I'm so happy. And then, you know, you just kind of was like, I'm okay with it. I was like, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> Dude, I was rooting for Rose. I, I text yeah. you before the fight, go Rose. Yeah. I, yeah. It, and, you know, Rose, it's hard not to love her. 
So, I mean, everyone was probably happy that she won. But, you yeah. know, I was overly joyed. I'm over here jumping off the, my couches and stuff like, yes, let's go, Rose, let's go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, we're tied now. And we got a, an exciting card coming up on Saturday to see who will take the lead. Before we get to our picks, uh, how about Nick Diaz being in the building? Dana White says that he wants a fight. Uh, Hamzat Shemaev has thrown his name into that hat. Uh, curious to see what Nick Diaz looks like coming back. Yeah, man. Nick Diaz is a, is a legend of the game, man. He's been around for a long time. He's coming off a, of a long suspension. We haven't seen him since... Man, like 2014, 2015, something crazy March like that. March of 2013. Or no, no, no. Uh, let's see. 2015, no contest against Anderson Silva. Yeah, like 2015, and he's still trying to fight. But let me tell you, man, when they showed him on the it, during the fights, like he looked in incredible shape, not just physically, but mentally, like, he looked in a really, really good headspace. And I think if there's any better time for him to fight, it's right now when he's in um, a headspace like this where he's able to really focus in on a goal instead of, you know, just being there physically but not really there mentally. So um, I'm intrigued to see Nick Diaz back. Um, I don't know how good he would be, you know, with how the sport has evolved nowadays. But, you know, his his name holds a lot of weight. You know, he, he's definitely going to sell some pay-per-views no matter who he fights. So I know the UFC, while they have him, they're going to use him in the best way possible, whether yeah. that's against a guy like Hamza Shemaev, uh, where uh, Hamza could potentially win and, and just get all the shine off of a Nick Diaz fight, or whether he's going to fight maybe someone like Masvidal, who's coming off of that loss. But if you throw those two guys in there yeah. together, that's a massive, massive pay-per-view. Masvidal, by the way, uh, has already said he would take that fight. Um, it's like, if you want to avenge what I did to your little brother, then uh, there you go. I mean, Stir in the pot already. I love it. The storyline's already there. Yeah. Um, Masvidal is a big name. Nick Diaz is a big name. You can, you sell that fight with how those two guys talk. I mean, that's going to be a massive, massive payday for both of them. But, you know, for me, as a guy who's uh, a hardcore fan who has uh, followed Nick Diaz for a long time, I don't want to see him fight a young stud like uh, Hamza Shamaya because I really feel like he'll get dominated <laughs> from from bell to bell, and it'll just be like, oh, Nick, like, why did you yeah. even come back, man? Like, uh, so I was thinking, like, who I would want to see him fight. Like, for his first fight back, I want to see him fight like a – a Robbie Lawler or a Cowboy Cerrone, someone who's kind of over the hill, but whose uh, name is still big in the sport. But I know the UFC is going to want to get as much as they can out of Nick Diaz's name, out of uh, the superstar that he still is. So that's what makes me think, like, it's probably going to be a Hamzat or a Mazatol. Yeah. I don't think it's Hamzat. Um, I, I think if Nick Diaz is going to come back, stylistically, you want to give him somebody that makes sense, right? Like, you're not going to get Nick Diaz back and then put him against like Michael Chiesa. Like it's just like, Oh God, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, right. if you're going to, he's not coming back because you expect him to win the belt for crying out loud. So like you're, you're bringing him back to put on a performance. So I, I think like Masvidal would make a ton of sense or like, I'm just looking at 170. Um, Vincent Luque would be a great fight. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Bilal Muhammad would be a great fight. Like there are, Obviously, you know, some of these guys have matchups, but I'm just throwing out names that make sense because 
you know, Hamza, t- just, I would love that fight. I would be totally in on it, but that to me doesn't make, cl- it, it just doesn't make sense. You're not using Nick Diaz in a great way with, with Hamza Chimaev. Chimaev is going to take him down and ground and pound him the entire time. Like, Nobody, nobody wants to see Nick Diaz on the ground, right? Like, that's that's not what anybody's signing up for. So, And when you consider a six-year absence, again, you want to give him a fight stylistically that's something that, you know, he's going to be able to beat Nick Diaz. So Himself, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, it, th- they'll give us something good. I, I guarantee it. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes me think that it'll probably be a, a Masvidal, but right. you know they're so they're so high on Shemaev that I wouldn't be surprised if they just want to use Nick Diaz's name to uh, jump uh, Shemaev into that superstar status. I mean, I, me personally, I don't want to see it at all, <laughs> but <laughs> I'd much rather see um, uh, Nick Diaz and Masvidal fight because the storyline is there, and you know stylistically, it's a stand-up war. Um, yeah, so. I'd much rather see that, but you know, you never know with the UFC. Um, you know, they're probably they'll do whatever. So we'll see, man. I hope it's Masvidal. Yeah. Uh, look, maybe Conor McGregor loses to Poirier again, and it's Conor McGregor, Nick Diaz. Yeah, I, I would love to see that too. I mean, could you imagine? Like Conor was saying, like I, I beat your brother over the head for for five rounds, and then you know I was one shot away from beating him the first fight and stuff. Yeah. You know that fight would obviously sell, but. You know, I heard DC say this, that, you know, let Nick Diaz win one fight. Let Nick Diaz win his comeback fight. He's fighting for the title next. What do you think? Oh, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. I mean, like, Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz, it feels like are always, like, one fight away from a title fight because their name just is that big and people love them that much. Absolutely, man. I could definitely see if Nick Diaz was to beat anybody Especially if it's a Jorge Masvidal, um, he's definitely was gonna is gonna fight Kamaru Usman next, and then you know like, Kobe Covington better make sure he secures his fight because if not, any one of these guys who's coming up uh, like the Leons, Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, if they get that, if they yeah. get a signature win, they'll jump them. So Kobe better get it, get better get it uh, solidified soon. If the winner of Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz is like a a finish. That guy is in line, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. He, he's especially if it's Nate. He's jumping Kobe Covington for sure. Yeah, because they're like, hey, give him the title fight before he loses the next fight. And then he's back out of the conversation. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and imagine the the pay per views that would sell uh, Usman and Nate Diaz fight. It would be crazy. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the the of Nate Diaz and Masvidal, uh, I got to bring up the BMF. We, I, I don't think we've ever actually had a conversation about this and there's not really ever been a reason to, because look, they did this thing for the fans. Like, Hey, this will be fun. Let these two guys that are, you know, badasses just slug it out. And, and, you know, one of them is going to get this BMF belt. And I think we've, for the most part, I think most people kind of realize what that is. The fact that this week, the entire week he had it with him. It's on display. And there are people legitimately will saying like, well, is, is Usman going to get the BMF if he wins? And like, bro, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> like, this is a legitimate thing that like, <laughs> Oh man. No, no. Yeah, man. Like, when they asked Usman about it in the press conference, like, 
they were like, uh, so well, yeah, what do you have to say about basketball saying you're not man enough to get chance for the BMF belt? And Us was like, what? Who? What? You talk. He's like, I have the UFC belt over here. Like, whatever that is, that does not matter. Like, the BMF belt was created because Dana was so against having Masvidal and Nate Diaz main event a pay-per-view with no title on the line. So he just created right. that title just for there to be something for them to fight for. Yeah. Um, and now Masvidal's had it. Uh, and, you know, people, when, when he first got it, people were like, fight me for the BMF title. You know, I'll challenge for it. And now it's just gotten to the point where it's just, it's just there. Yeah. You know, like it, it was fun for what it was. It was fun for that night for that pay-per-view. Um, you know, I, 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 I liked the idea actually in the moment. I, I thought it was, you know, this is creative. It's a fun way to add a little bit more excitement to this fight of, you know, Masvidal, Nate Diaz, both are, are considered BMFs. So like, it, you know, it was cool. Like I thought, but the fact that it's like stuck around to me is probably the part that makes it so cringy. Like, Give him the BMF belt that night, you know, let him take the pictures, but then like get it out of sight again. Like we don't need to see it anymore. It doesn't need to be something that's traveling around to media events. And it like, what are we doing with this thing? Like, like it was fun for what it was in the moment, but now it just kind of feels like a joke. Like, come on. Yeah, it definitely feels like a joke. I mean, it should have been a one-off, but you know, now we keep seeing it. And now I'm at the yeah. point where it's just like, okay, so is he ever going to defend it, or is he just going to just continue to just have it at all these press conferences because of yeah. you know that fight? So, you know, for me, it was never really a real thing. You know, just for that right. night. You know, now it's just it's just a one off, man. Like if you wanted to once a year like have a BMF fight, and it, you just two random dudes like you know whoever it is, it, it it could be somebody that's a badass, but you know maybe they've lost a couple fights or you know. Like, it's, it's a good way to, I think, create some hype over some guys that may not get some main event opportunities because they've had, you know, a disappointing loss here or there. Um, if you wanted to do that, I cool. Like, that's that's fine. But to, like, to have this guy fighting in a title fight and taking pictures with this belt on his shoulder next to the guy that has the championship belt on his shoulder, I just, I was like, man, this, th- this is actually cringeworthy. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, because it, at some point it kind of made it seem like that BMF title meant as much or more than the UFC title. Right. And then you're just like, really? Like, come on, man. We got to chill with all that. Right. Like, put that belt to the side. Right. The real belt is what Usman has. Like, forget that damn belt. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that was just something over the course of last week. I was just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and then when, like, when I saw all these social media comments – after the fight, and it's like, well, does Usman get both belts now? Or like, I'm like, no, Usman no, does Usman doesn't care. want that. Usman yeah, is the champion. Like, he doesn't give a damn about a BMF belt. Like, he does not care about that belt whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that it's over there, he could have been. I mean, he said in the first fight, like, I'll beat Masvidal and I'll take that belt off him. But that because the belt was still kind of fresh. Yeah. But, you know, now it's been over a year. Well, I don't even so, think it like, was like, I don't even think it was like take it off him because he wanted it, just like take it off him. And then like, throw yeah. it, like I don't think it, he was saying that in a way of like, I want that one. Like, it was just like, we're just going to get rid of that. Yeah. And I think at this point, after that knockout, yeah, he basically t- threw it away. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, 
Thanks for letting me rant there. I just like, this is so embarrassing. It's I'm so cringy. All right, let's, uh, oh yeah, I got one other thing before we make our picks. Daniel Cormier, Jake Paul, dude, <laughs> what is DC doing? He's, oh man, uh, he's fell for it, man. He's fallen deep into the trap yep. of Jake Paul, man. Uh, man, but with a guy like DC who's, who's got so much pride, <laughs> I mean, of course, a guy like DC is going to fall into the trap because, you know, he's so prideful and everything. If someone disrespects him, he's going to respond. And, you know, for him to go up to Jake Paul in the middle of his broadcast, like to ask his production team if he could go have a few minutes and he gets up and gets in Jake Paul's face. Like, man, uh, I would have expected DC to do something more than than just kind of point at him like he's some little kid, like, you keep on, like, I'm yeah. going to, you know, like, uh, and then for him, for DC to just acknowledge, you know, Jake Paul, you know, it just goes to show like he's falling deep into the trap. Yeah. And now he's issued a challenge to, to, for Jake Paul to come to MMA and fight him at 205. But we know, I mean, Jake Paul's a, a smart man. We've seen what he's done with Ben Askren, you know, building these boxing fights. He is not about to go into the MMA world and fight one of the greatest. Well, he's, he's already turned time. it down. Yeah. He's already said no. So, oh, he's, yeah. he's already, he's already said, okay, yeah, he's okay. already said, no, I'm, I'm not <laughs> taking that fight. So, uh, I mean, all DC did was validate Jake Paul even more, right? Like for everybody that Absolutely. doesn't want Jake Paul to be a big deal. And I don't think Daniel Cormier wants Jake Paul to be a big deal by taking that whole thing where he took it. At the biggest pay-per-view, we're literally having the conversation as UFC 261, the biggest pay-per-view of all time. And in the middle of all of that is DC validating Jake Paul, who's standing right there and making him an even bigger star. So um, Jake Paul's not going away. I mean, like, you know, the more people, the more people buy into what he's doing, the more people let him get under their skin and, and respond, it just plays him up that much more. And that's why people are paying attention to him. So if you're one of those people that doesn't like Jake Paul, like I, I don't really care either way. I think the Triller stuff has been entertaining. It's been chaos. Um, it, I'm going to watch Jake Paul's next fight because it's going to be against somebody that there's a great storyline and it's uh, they're going to have a great buildup to it. But if you're somebody that doesn't like Jake Paul, don't validate him anymore. Like that's the thing. So uh, yeah, so DC officially offered the challenge. Jake Paul said, I've never trained in MMA in my entire life. Why would I take that fight? And has officially turned down that fight, but in turn, uh, challenged DC once again to a boxing match. So there you go. So basically, DC is not going to fight Jake Paul in a boxing match, and uh, Jake Paul is not going to fight DC in MMA. Um, And not not only did DC validate uh, Jake Paul when when he went up to him, I mean, the fans... All the fans chanting what they were chanting at Jake Paul. I mean, they were validating them too. I mean, yeah. during the fights where you hear the crowd just chanting, fuck Jake Paul, yeah. fuck Jake Paul. Like, the fans are validating him too. And the so UFC sure. showing him. Yeah, <laughs> like, now, yeah, the UFC is yeah. showing him too. If you don't want to give this guy traction, then don't show him on your freaking pay-per-view broadcast. Like, everybody that doesn't like him, by giving him attention, you're literally feeding the monster. Which yeah. I have no problem with, because again, like 
he's doing things that are making headlines and it's interesting and we're talking about it. I have no problem with the guy. It, do I, I mean, do I like Jake Paul? No. Does anybody like Jake Paul? No. But <laughs> like, if you don't want him to, you know, if you don't want to validate him, then stop doing it. Like, it's crazy to me. Yeah, just just what the UFC and what DC did for Jake Paul, that basically just made him just that much more of a bigger star. And that's going to make people hate him even yeah. more. Right. Uh, and they're going to want to see him lose even more. Yep. So whenever he fights, whoever it is, uh, whether it's um, Dylan Dennis or Mike Perry, whoever it is, they're going to want to see Jake Paul lose. So they're going to tune in to Triller, no matter how chaotic of an event it is, there will be uh, probably a million, probably more tuning in to watch yeah. Jake Paul. So it all works in his favor. Yep, no doubt. All right, we have a monster main event on Saturday night. This is actually, I think, a pretty underrated card as well. Dominic Reyes, Yuri Prohaska at 205 is the main event. Dominic Reyes, if you remember the last time out, lost to Jan Blahovic uh, for the vacant title at that point. He's not fought since then. Yuri Prohaska has one UFC fight. Um, I'm trying to remember who he beat. It was on Fight Island last year. It was his UFC debut. All I remember is it was a really sloppy first round, and then I think it was a second round KO uh, where you were like, whoa. Uh, and uh, look, this guy, it, 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 even though it was his UFC debut, he's not a rookie. He's He has a ton of pro fights. He's a veteran. He's just making it to the UFC for the first time. So that's why you know he's already in the top five with one fight. That's why he's already in a, a matchup with Dominic Reyes. But this is a big league matchup. Uh, so here we go. We start this fight card at 135. Marab Davalashvili, 12 and four overall against Cody Stamen, 19, three and one. Uh, I love this matchup. I, I think uh, this is a situation where Cody's probably better on the feet. If this thing goes to the ground, I do like Marab on the ground, but Cody Stamen can wrestle. So it's not like this is a striker that has no chance if it goes to the ground. I think this is a terrific matchup. Really excited about this. I love Marab and the pressure and the cardio and the activity. Um, give me Marab Devalishvili. Yeah, man. Like while Cody Stamen is pretty well rounded everywhere, um, I think what Marab brings, like you said, the the activity, the pressure. I think those are things that Cody's not really used to seeing. Um, I think it's just another level of activity and pressure that. Uh, Marab brings to the table. So um, I'm also going to go Marab. I think he's going to climb up these ranks uh, and he's going to be a real problem at that division. By the way, let me make a statement real quick and I'll I'll get your opinion on this at the end. So don't give me an answer, but I always ask for what's going to be the fight of the night. Like what are we thinking is going to be the best matchup here? This might be a fight card where I can legitimately say all five fights on the main card that we're going to pick have a legitimate chance to be the fight of the night. Like, I don't see a bad matchup here where I'm like, that one could be boring, or like, this is one of those, like, holy cow, every one of these is going to be violent and potentially going to end in a finish. <laughs> Agreed, man. These fight these fights are so close, and they're all just have the, the makings of wars. Every single one of them. There's not one where it's just like, ah, all of these fights, they, they have the makings of a war, absolutely. All right, our next matchup, middleweights, Sean Strickland, 22-3 and three overall against Christoph Jotko, 22-4 and four overall. Again, I mean, I this 
to me, all these fights are, are ending in finishes. I don't, I don't see any of these going to a decision. Um, I love this matchup. I think this is going to be violent. Um, I thought Sean Strickland looked phenomenal uh, in his last win. I think it was, was it Brendan Allen, I believe, the last time we saw Sean Strickland? But, man, he came back in a big way, looked just razor sharp, looked powerful. Uh, so, I've, uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on this one a little bit, but I think I, I like Sean Strickland a little bit more. Yeah, this one's, this one's tough because uh, both these guys are on winning streaks. Uh, Sean Strickland, like you said, looked really good against Brendan Allen, who had that uh, heel hook submission against... Yeah. Uh, uh, and Carl Roberson over the weekend, and you hear you heard Roberson scream like ah before he tapped. <laughs> but yeah, this is going to be a close matchup, man. Uh, Sean Strickland looked good in this last one. Uh, Jocko's like on a three or four fight winning streak. Um, something's got to give, man. Um, I really would love to go opposite of you in this one because I feel like this one is that type of uh, close matchup. Yeah. But I really, really like Sean Strickland All as right. well. I think he's really, really good. So. I'm going to go Sean Strickland as well. All right. Third fight on the main card, light heavyweights, Ian Kudabala, or Kudalaba and Dustin Jacoby stepping in on short notice. This is another one that's really tough for me. Um, I, I actually think that I like Dustin Jacoby all around a little bit better. Um, Kudalaba is kind of just like, one of those guys that I feel like could end this fight in the first 20 seconds. He's he's just a wild card. So I feel like you either have to decide whether one side is going to finish this fight early or if it goes the distance, obviously the other guy I think is just way more well-rounded. So as much as I want to go, uh, I want to go Dustin Jacoby. I, I'm going to go Kudalaba. Uh, Dustin Jacoby on on short notice stepping into this thing. I think he's the better fighter here. I think he's more well rounded, but he is stepping in on short notice. Um, I'll I'll take the uh, I'll take the KO here. Yeah, man. Um, when whenever Ian Kutalaba fights, it's either he's going to get knocked out or he's going <laughs> to knock somebody out. He's just a wild man, and he goes forward no matter what. Um, yeah, man, Dustin Jacoby, he's won. Uh, I think he's on a four-fight winning streak. Um, man, stepping on short notice, it, it kind of makes me want to go Eon. But you know, I really like Dustin Jacoby. I think he's, uh, I think he's on his way up. Um, we'll see if stepping on short notice affects him. But I'm gonna go Jacoby. All right. Like I said, I think he's the more well-rounded guy here. Uh, I think he's the better, just mixed martial artist in this matchup. Um, I, I would also say, I think, uh, Ian has got to feel some urgency in this fight as well. I think he's kind of back against the wall, lost three of his last four. So, uh, interesting position that he's in. All right. Co-main event. This is also a banger of a matchup. Cub Swanson, 27 and 11 overall against Giga Chikadze, 12 and two. This is one of the fastest rising 145ers. Uh, in the division, it, it, he's a guy that I'm I'm surprised, honestly, isn't currently a top 15 uh, ranked featherweight. Giga, for me, um, I, I just think that he's shown so many layers to his striking. Uh, I, I, this guy's like, I think, the future of what the sport is evolving to be, right? Like, he, he can just strike in so many ways. Um, 
Cub Swanson is going to be in a war, though. Like, he's not going to make this easy. I think this is a just a brutal, gutsy-type performance, but uh, Giga for me. Man, Cub Swanson's been around for a long time. Uh, yeah, like I said, he's going to be in wars. Uh, no matter who he's fighting against, uh, he's going to make that thing a war. He's going to bring out the best in whoever he fights. Um, he's going to test your heart. He's going to test your will. Um, but with that being said, man, I just think he's at a disadvantage pretty much uh, everywhere, especially with the striking. Um, yeah, man. Uh, Giga just looks – He just his striking is just so sophisticated. He looks so good. Um, Cub, you know, like I said, he's what the sport is evolving to, and uh, Cub's been good for a long time. But I think, you know, with a fighter like this, you know, it's just one of those cases where the sport's kind of passing them by. So, uh, Giga for me as well. All right. So we are on the same side of things in three of the four as we get to our three-point main event in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Dominic Reyes, 12-2 and two overall. His last two fights will are losses, actually. Uh, I believe he beat John Jones. I, I He won the first three rounds of that fight. He beat John Jones. He should have been the champion when he fought Jan Blahovich and then legitimately lost the belt to, to Jan. So I have no problem with the current champion. But in that time between that fight, the strap should have been around Dominic Reyes at that point. Um, I, I, again, I think this is a situation where having lost two in a row and a guy that, that we really felt like was the future of this division, there's some urgency on his side. Yuri Prohaska is 27-3-1. He's a very experienced mixed martial artist. Uh, at the same time, he only has one fight in the UFC, and I go back to that fight, like I said, on Fight Island last summer, and just how wild and chaotic it felt early. He obviously has skills. He obviously has knockout power. Um, I'm torn on this. Obviously, they they love Yuri, or he wouldn't be in this position. I think for me, I'm going to have to go Dominic Reyes, mostly because I, I just haven't seen enough of Yuri to feel like I know how sharp he's going to be in this matchup. He's the favorite, so there's, I mean, that, that speaks for itself. Uh, but I, ultimately where I land is the little bit I've seen of him, I like, but I've just seen so much more of Dominic Reyes at a high level against the very best at 205. Uh, so Dominic Reyes is my pick in the main event. Yeah, man, uh, this is one of those matchups that's really, really, really tough to call. Uh, like you said, Dominic Reyes gave John Jones all he could handle, but um, he won. But yeah, nah, man, uh, J- John Jones edged that out, man. But you know, but anyways, um, you know, he didn't. He went into that Yon fight not believing that he lost that John Jones fight, so he had this. He still had the, the confidence that he was undefeated. And I feel like he went into that fight with Jan and kind of didn't really fight to his best, to the best of his potential. Um, Jan just kind of took it to him and really battered him in that fight, man. Um, so after taking a beating like that, I'm kind of curious to see what what kind of Dominic Reyes that we see, because you know Reyes was dominant over his first what 11, 12 fights, and then he lost to Jones, lost right. to Jan. I think now. We're really going to see what Dominic Reyes is made of coming off of uh, a knockout loss and a title fight. Um, and, you know, Yuri, uh, you know, this is his second fight. 
Um, and, you know, he's a he's a former champion in uh, another organization in uh, Ryzen, I believe. Uh, he's been around the block. He's fought a lot of guys. Um, he's beaten a lot of guys as well. So, um, you know, this one's tough, but I just don't know. I just feel like that loss uh, to Jan's going to do something to Reyes. And I don't think we're going to see – I think we're going to see a Reyes who's kind of questioning – himself uh not uh the confident reds that we've been used to seeing so um i'm gonna go opposite you here man i'm gonna go yuri i like it yeah look i think your point is valid and it's always interesting to see how a guy bounces back after the first time they've really been beat up the way that that he was against yawn I would say two things. I I think that we obviously saw him fade drastically in the final two rounds against John Jones I think that was on his mind going into the yawn fight. I think he wanted to pace himself early and probably waited too long to really get going. And by the time, you know, I mean, yawn just started hitting him hard. Uh, His ribs looked god-awful in that first round. Like, it was painful (laughs) for me watching him get hit in the ribs after, like, those first two. His entire side uh, looked completely torn up. Uh, so I did get the feeling that, I mean, that was the storyline after the John Jones fight was, you know, the fourth and fifth, and he he had nothing left. And I think against, he was expecting a five-round fight against Jan, and I think he just waited too long to really get going. Uh, so I do think that he's probably, over the course of this long layoff, found a balance and and figured out a way to get going, but also make sure you leave enough for the back end if it gets there. But look, you can't get there if, if you're getting finished in the first couple rounds. So uh, there are definitely lessons to learn. Uh, we'll see if he's learned them. And you're right. I'm, I'm always, I think it's, it's always a fascinating storyline when somebody has been completely dominant and experiences a loss like that for the first time and how they respond. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, Dominic Reyes, he's really, really talented, man. Uh, you know, for him to do what he did to John Jones, uh, to really take the fight to him from the beginning, from from the jump. Uh, and I feel like he hurt John Jones a few times, you know, landed some really good punches, landed some, landed a head kick that was crazy. I don't know how John survived it. Um, but yeah, you know, he just faded in those, in those uh, championship rounds. And John Jones showed why he's a, a champion, a veteran of the game, been in so many championship fights. And then, you know, like you said, you know, he probably went into that young fight expecting uh, a five round fight. And if it would have been a five-round fight, you know, Reyes fight, fought against the GOAT. Um, so, you know, he probably took that and was like, let me pace myself. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't think Yuri is going to allow Dominic to, to pace himself. And no. uh, so I think Dominic's going to be in the fire as soon as the fight starts. And um, I think we're going to gonna see a really, really entertaining fight um, from, both, from both these guys. And with – how crazy of a striker that Yuri is, um, I think he's going to um, a- allow for Dominic to have some openings. And, you know, you never know. Dominic has a really, really crazy um, left hand. So, you know, Yuri could get caught. And, you know, Vulcan hurt him uh, in the first round. You know, that first round was yeah. really, really close. And uh, That's so right. That, was that, the, yeah, Vulcan, that's who it was. I was trying to remember who he fought last time. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was Vulcan. It was, it was a crazy fight. Uh, and then in the second round, just Yuri landed that big punch that, uh, that dropped Vulcan. Yeah. So, you know, Yuri's going to take some shots to, to land some. So I think it's going to be a very entertaining fight, but I think, um, Yuri being the more experienced guy, uh, been in these wars, 
um, more than Dominic has, I think Gary's going to get the job done. Yeah. All right, man. We uh, we are on the opposite side of two fights. So uh, once again, four points to be gained potentially one way or the other uh, at the end of Saturday night. Uh, this is going to be an awesome fight. Look, I, I think that uh, this fight is is ending in the first or second round. I just don't see it going any further than that. So. Agreed, man. And that's and that's not only the case for this one, but that's the, the case for most of these fights, man. Yeah. I feel like a lot of these fights are going to end in the first or second round. And if not that, then we're going to see some wars down the down the card, man. It's going to be a great night of fights. Yeah. All right. Give me your uh, give me your fight of the night prediction on this main card. This one's tough, man. Um, <laughs> as much as I really want to go Dominic Reyes and Yuri, um, and, you know, I even feel like Sean Strickland and Jocko is going to be a good. I really think that Cub Swatson and uh, and Giga is going to be the uh, fight of the night. For that's sure. that's mine as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because Cub is just going to he tests everyone. Absolutely. Uh, he's tough as nails. He, yeah, he is so tough and he's going to test your heart. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about Giga as the next guy. And um, uh, like you said, I can't believe that he's not even ranked in the top 15 yet. But, uh, you know, everyone's impressed by him. But if you really want to uh, be in the top of that division, you got to get through Cub Swanson. And that's not yeah. no easy task uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah. um, Cub's going to uh, test his heart, and we're going to see if Giga can respond. And I, I, think he, I think he can. Yeah, that'll be a good one. All right, my friend. Uh, again, we are tied. So uh, good stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you Saturday. All right, man. When I take the lead, we will de- I, we will definitely be talking on Saturday when I take the lead, man. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for next week's show when I officially can pick first. There we go. Well, look, then then uh, then you really feel the pressure, and then uh, you know it 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 switches around. It's it's not as easy to go first. It's a little easier when you can sit back and decide, hey, I can either play it safe or take the gamble. So yeah, I've definitely been taking advantage of that. Yeah, it's sure. nice. It's nice. <laughs> All right, buddy. See you Saturday. All right, my brother. Have a good one. Thanks to Will Brewer for joining me on this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their light of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. Plus, they have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions about these products or their health benefits, don't hesitate to reach out to Artisan Botanicals, 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. So visit abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW to save 15% off your online order. I order online from them, so it's really efficient. I I love uh, just abotanicalcompany.com, place my order. It's usually ready within a day. Um, They have a drive-thru for pickup, so it's very efficient to swing by there and pick up your order. Uh, Great people at Artisan Botanicals and visit abotanicalcompany.com. All right, NFL Draft is tomorrow. Aaron Davis and I will have a pre-show tomorrow morning. We'll give our final first-round mock drafts, and then the big show starts at 6.30. So uh, everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow.
The podcast is over.